I love this story because it is, it is a, uh, it's a well-known story, so it's, you're not going to read it for the very first time today, but it's one of those texts that I read from time to time to challenge myself, to allow God, I should say, for God to challenge me. And um, sometimes we're afraid to allow someone, uh, maybe we'll just say the Holy Spirit to step on our toes, but I always say, God, help step on my toes, Holy Spirit, so that there's movement in my life. I want to move towards you. And uh, maybe you won't use that language. I don't know. But um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. Again, today we were in Mark 11 last week. But we're going to be in Mark 11 for uh, at least next week, too, because it's a challenging text. And it really is a defining text for your life and for this church. It really is. If we take it to heart what Jesus is talking about, um, because I believe with my heart, that certain texts that you read, you kind of just get one in one ear, in one ear, ear and out the other, and you go, okay, that's fine. But this one, you can't really read this and be unchanged. And I can guarantee you that you can't read this and be, and, uh, and not feel a little challenged, a little bit like, ooh, ouch. And my intention is not to make you feel, mm, uh, unless that's causing you to surrender to Jesus and say, Lord, because sometimes we do need those moments where we're like, oh, oh, my, my goal is, is that each one of us would, uh, metaphorically, not during the service, but fall on our knees before God, worship him, and it's all about him. And so um, I pray that you'd run to Jesus after this, when you're, maybe you're going home and you go into your house and you just take a moment and you say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm, I'm ready to follow you with all my heart all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I'm ready. And so this is such an important text is what we're going to do is we're going to take the next two weeks and we're going to look at this text, okay? What we're going to do today, and it doesn't, might not seem like it makes much sense today, but we're going to read the text in its entirety today and then we're going to zoom in on a small portion of it next week. It is that important. There's a, there is a line in the middle of Jesus' life here when he talks about things that we go, I got to focus on that next week. There's not enough time. And so um, let's let's zoom out and look at Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 26. This is, there's two, there's three mini stories, if you will, that, that add up to this one story. And so it's a very odd, odd scripture. There's a couple things on the tail end of these things, beginning and the end, that's really odd. And it's easy to just skim over it. And I was willing, I was about not to teach on the first part of this when the Lord really prompted me. So let's look at Mark chapter 11, verse uh, 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there was only, there were only leaves on it because it was too early in the season for free. Pause right there. That's odd. I mean, it's not odd. It, what's odd is what Jesus does because of what this does. Like, it's not growing out of season, basically. Okay? But then he goes, Then Jesus said to the tree, and this shows me the power of God, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it, which seems funny because they wrote it down. Okay? But the one interesting thing about this, and we'll move on just a second, is that either A, there's more going on to this story than meets the eye. Or B, it's just something that he, he said and it's just a weird thing and then they moved on, right? I'm going to go with A, that there's more than meets the eye here. 
Okay, and this has everything to do with whether you know it or not. This has everything to do with what happens right afterwards. Okay, so let me look at the next screen. So he cursed the tree. May you never eat from your fruit again, even though it's out of season. Doesn't seem that fair, okay? The disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers. He, he knocked over the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, which they would know this. The Old Testament declares, my temple or my house will be called a house of what? Prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. We're going to move on, but I want you to think about your own life. The purpose that God has for this church and for your life and for every day that you wake up, there's a specific purpose. Is it possible that we can turn our life and our church and Christianity into something that it was not meant to be? For them, they turned the entire house of God, the temple, into a den of thieves. There was a bunch of thieves there. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning on how to kill him. Okay, this is the beginning of the end. Remember what happens in less than a week in Jesus' life. He dies. So this is the beginning. They're now, now planning, scheming, how in the world are we going to get to this, this guy? Okay, because he keeps causing a little bit of trouble. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. The evening, that evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. So the last week and this week, there's been a couple days here. Okay, the first week... The, uh, last week, we talked about day one, that he goes into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey. Remember that? And then he, he sees the city, and then he goes back, and then that's the next morning, he curses the fig tree, goes into Jerusalem, he sees the temple, and he goes, I've seen this before. I'm going to go in there, and just like, I think it's the book of John that, uh, that, that actually shows what he does. He makes a rope. And he makes a whip, and he's Indiana Jesus, and he whips them out of there. And then all of a sudden, he, he, he like, in a sense, curses the people. Curses the fig tree, curses the people, the people of God, who have turned the temple into something that it was not meant to be. And then he leaves the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree. See, he's getting closer to his death every single second in this, in this reading, okay? The next morning as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered that Jesus had said this to the tree on the previous day, and he exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Before we read the rest of it, this scripture could be, I could cut this up and slice this up into multiple weeks because there's a lot going on here, right? There is a lot going on here. Now he's teaching on prayer. Now he's teaching on, on, on trust. I, I thought it was about the, the temple. It's all a package deal here, okay? Maybe... You can say to the mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown in the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. I could teach on that a little bit more if I had the time, but I'm not going to We'll at another time. 
But when you're praying, and if you believe it, you received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. All right. There's a lot there. There's a lot in there that Jesus is talking about that he's mentioned in other gospels. Okay? When you read a different gospel, when you read Matthew, Luke, and John, the story is a little bit different, not contradictory. It just gets it from a different angle. Like, it, it, it hardly mentions the fig tree. Mark does it very specific. He bookends the story of the temple clearing with this fig tree, doesn't he not? He has, there's two instances where he goes to this fig tree. Before, he goes, I'm hungry. I want some figs. Okay, I just get a fig Newton. Anybody of us are fig Newton fans? Oh, man. Not a lot of people are, but they don't forget some milk or something afterwards. But I think I'm going to go buy some after the service. But he goes, huh, what, let's see, what's the, what day is it today? Oh, it's that? Well, it's out of, out of season, but may you never bear fruit again. That's weird. Jesus, that's a little odd. Shouldn't, everything's seasonal. So if you don't grow out of, if you grow in season only, is that, that must be okay, right? Jesus is going, no, since you're not growing right now, curse you. You're dying, you're dead. Then he goes in there, according to John, he goes and makes a whip and he whips them out. I want to see that. Then he speaks and he says, you guys have turned this place into something. It's not the, the religious leaders go, I don't like this guy. I'm gonna, uh, we need to kill him, but we need to be very strategic. Let's not grab him here because everyone is amazed at his teaching. Let's go get him somewhere else. Then they get out of the city the next morning, he wakes up, goes to Starbucks, get his coffee. Then Peter notices, I think Jesus would have just walked right past it. I really do. But Peter goes, of course it's Peter. Remember, Mark was written by a guy named Mark, but he was, he was introduced to all this material by the guy named Peter. So, of course, Peter is going to show up here. Peter had mentioned this. And so Peter goes, hey, you remember when Jesus was saying, remember we all heard it? This, this tree is dead. So this is a very strange passage, but at the same time, I did not want to skip this because it's in every four, it's in all four gospels. So when I was reading, I go, I really don't want to miss this because each writer thought it was important enough to talk about. When you go in, the cool thing about the gospel story is when you read all four of them together, you get a complete picture of Jesus' life. You really do. If you just stay on one, if you stay in the book of Mark, you're going to be missing out a lot. But if you stay in the book of Luke, even though it is very, there, it, the book of Luke is long. There's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, parables, but you're going to be missing things that Matthew talked about. So it's a, you got to get the whole picture here. And Mark is very strategic. And here's the thing about the fig tree cursing, because I was reading that on Monday. I got home from work had the rest of the week off, but I was like, I'm going to read the scripture I'm going to have this week. And I go, fig tree cursing. Eh, I'm going to skip that one. Can I just be honest? Can I? Sometimes pastors are like, I'm not feeling anything right now. Then I started reading the other scripture about him going into the temple. And I go, oh, that's a fun one. I want to do that one. We could talk about, we could, I can make the joke again about Indiana Jesus and whip and doing all that kind of stuff. And then I read afterwards, because context matters, right? The fig tree again shows up. I'm sitting there going, okay, interesting. I can't skip that for a moment because Mark, it's, Mark is very unique in that part of it where 
he takes the two instances and he breaks it apart into two stories. Curses, temple instance, which we know that story, and then they go back and it's dead. It's withered away. Leaves are gone. Obviously, there's no figs because there was no figs before, but it's dead. And so this is weird because in the Old Testament, figs and fig trees, God often compared his people to fig trees, among other things. He did grapevines, but one instant, there's a couple instances where he uses the term fig tree. A couple instances, we're not going to, we're going to read one of them, but places like Joel 1-7, I wish I could read that one, I'm not going to today, it's my favorite Old Testament prophet, for obvious reasons. Jeremiah 8.13 is the one I want to read because it talks about figs and fig trees. And God basically said in those days, my people Israel used to be like fig trees that were bearing much fruit, and now you're spiritually dead, so you're withered away and dying. So there was this spiritual component to fruit. And when God looked at his people and they were withered away and dying spiritually, they weren't growing. They were walking backwards. They were going backwards in their faith. He said, you're just like a fig tree that's withered and died. Okay? So Jeremiah 8.13, God says, I will take away their heart. He's looking at them and going, you guys are so far from me. Jeremiah was, what is he known as? The what prophet? The weeping prophet. He had, he had horrible news to tell them, and they didn't receive it. Okay, he's preaching to them, and they're going, right, falling asleep or whatever. But I take, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. What does a harvest mean? A fruit harvest or a vegetable harvest? It literally means that, um, that, uh, it's a blessing. It's God's blessing. It is God's blessing. When I'm going to take away the harvest, God's saying, I'm taking away my blessing. I'm taking away my anointing. I'm taking away the Holy Spirit. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. Oh, that sounds very familiar. So, and it says, what I have given them, or what I have blessed them with, what I have anointed them with, I, it will be taken back from them. So, when you're reading the Gospels, and you're reading this whole with this whole uh, fig tree uh, you're going into the temple, another fig tree. It's like, okay, fig tree, that's kind of odd. But when you put it in context to what God is really saying there, and Mark is being very strategic here. I think it was Peter that told him, this would be a good opportunity for teaching him about what, what's really going on with the temple and the people of God. Because God says, I've blessed you. I've anointed you. You were so close to me. Now your hearts are far from me. So guess what? No more figs. And when someone, a farmer woke up and they go outside and they see no fruit, they don't have any grapes, no wine, no grape juice, no communion, no figs. Oh, no, no fig newtons. That would be a bummer. But you know what? Since you guys are all far from me, what, I'm gonna, what I've given you, what I've blessed you with, I'm going to take it away. Gone, done. Your anointing's gone. The Holy Spirit that's blessed you, gone. No more. And to prove that, the fig tree is going to wither. Now, so when Jesus, when Mark mentions Jesus cursing the fig tree and the leaves withering up, there's a purpose for it, isn't there? See, it actually is illustrating Israel's condition of their heart. The thing is about their heart, 
they're, they're withered up. Their relationship with God at Jesus, the day of Jesus, they were withered up. Remember what they just did just not so long ago? They blessed Jesus as he's going into the city. They blessed him. They, they said, you know, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to put some, we're going to put leaves down. We're going to put our cloaks down. Come on into town. And at the very same time, they're going in there and they're turning. What is his house? His house is a house of what? Prayer. Say prayer. Help me here a little bit. I mean, you know, I need to wake up a little bit. Prayer. Prayer, right? And you turn it into a den of thieves. So at the same time, he's going, they're so far from me. Let me be honest about the people of God during Jesus' day. They looked really good. They did. From the outside, we would be envious, like, wow, they're so blessed. They're so blessed. I put, I put a few reasons why. I mean, they're, they're preparing for Passover. This is an important event that happened in history. And they celebrate it every year. And they're getting ready for Passover. And they had the word of God. They, had, they knew Jeremiah, they knew scriptures like this. They knew the law of Moses. They memorized the law of Moses. They all did. They memorized it. Nobody needed to unroll the scroll. Nobody needed to go to the Ten Commandments and say, this is what, no, they just memorized it. And so they had the word of God. They had worship. They had sacrifices happening. They had feasts. They had festival. They had food. They had fun. They had, it was a family event. They had people. The, the, if I can modernize it, their church was full. They had religious activity that kept them busy, but they were completely missing the point. They were like a trick fig tree that was not bearing fruit. So here's my point, because it's challenging. These people, and this never happens in the church today, trust me, that's a joke. It happens in all of our lives. They were so full of what? Religious activity. But they were missing God. They weren't skipping things. They weren't skipping church. They weren't doing anything. They weren't, they weren't doing this. And they, were, they were going to church. They were, they, were, they were like religious about it. It's kind of like when I say when I was a kid, I was, and I, I joke around, but I say when it comes to the Seattle Supersonics and basketball and the Mariners and the Seahawks, I was religious I showed up in front of that TV and watched it no matter what. I went to the games when the Sonics were in the Tacoma Dome because we were close. I went to the games. They won a lot of them. They were good that year. And when they lost against Michael Jordan, the Bulls, I, I may or may not have cried. I'm not going to say it in I'm not going to say what it really was in public. That's how close, that's how religious I was when it came to basketball. Okay? So they weren't even, they weren't even religious when it came to the stupid stuff. They were religious about the good stuff. Worship, the word, church full of people. People were excited. Did you see what the pastor was preaching about? It's so exciting. Let's go. Invite your friends. Come on, let's go. But they were missing God. So what is the point of being so busy for God and you forget about the God that you're serving? Because I joked earlier that never happens. It happens all the time. Happens to pastors, happens to missionaries, happens to me, to you. Because we can get so busy. I could preach about getting busy about non-essential religious, non-religious stuff. 
But we can get, and that's another sermon, okay, where we get distracted by non-essential stuff. But we can get so busy doing the, th- the work of God. We can get so busy worshiping, going through the motions, that we actually miss out on God. How do you know that, Pastor? Because it happened in their generation. Remember what we read last week when Jesus goes into Jerusalem on this donkey and another, not in Mark, but another gospel, he goes in. How does he see Jerusalem? He weeps. He weeps. Because, and there's a, and I wish I could, I wish I had my old notes. My old notes are in my office, but he goes, basically he goes that you've missed the, the God showing up. You missed him right in front of you. God's showing up right in front of you and you missed it. So, it happened in those days. They were so full of religious activity, but they missed God. So they had religion. Let's look at what they didn't have during those days. And maybe you find yourself, and this is not a finger-pointing exercise. This is not a poke you in where it hurts. That's not. My, my goal is for me, myself and all of us, is to introduce you to something that they were dealing with, and maybe you find yourself in one or two of these areas, okay? And if you do, welcome to the club, you're normal human. But now you are, now God is saying, move ahead, move forward, get away from that. So what were they missing? The first thing they were missing is fear, reverence, and awe before God. Now, I want you to think about this. They took God for granted. They took church for granted. I've shared this before. I'll share it again because when I was in college, I was, I was challenged at this point right here because in college, we had to go to chapel three days a week. Many people, you had to scan a card to prove you were there. Whether you agree with that or not, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but you scanned it and you show that's you can't skip it. You can skip up to ten a semester anyway. So people would scan scan and jam it was called and run. I I, I have a conscience. Uh, I just would I would just stay if I wanted to stay back in my dorm I would do it and I did that and they had a huge earthquake and I caused it but that's beside the point. But I walked in there with my good friend Sam and he was from South Korea and. They're a little bit different in their churches. I go in there and I'm, I used to be loud, you know, when I was going, hey, how you guys, hey, how you doing? You know, looking at the crowd, it's just packed full of people. And I'm just like joking around. I've, I've changed a little bit. I don't really joke around anymore. But um, Sam, he sits down and he, he sits in the chair and he, he just kind of bows his head. I'm like, it hasn't even started yet. And I think I said something like that. I was rude. And he doesn't, he ignores me. And he bows. I think even one time he, he went down on his knee like this before he even, the, the, the service hadn't started. So my, in my mind, why even do that? The, the worship hasn't even started. Here was where I was challenged. I had no fear, awe, and reverence before God. Nothing. It was just another service. It was just another, uh, I have to be here. I had to scan my card and eh, whatever. Sam, who came from a different type of background where they take it very, when they go into a service before God, not even just a service, but just life, they were very 
reverent before God. They were very, there was some, there was a healthy fear of God there. There was a, there was awe. There was reverence. There was bowing. There was kneeling. And, and I'm sitting there making light of it. From that moment on, I'm still learning 20 plus years later that God should not be taken lightly. The presence of God, where two or three are gathered together in our, in, in, in our midst, He is there. We shouldn't take it lightly. And that's not dissing fellowship. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? I'd have to change my personality for that. What I'm saying is our heart. Because they didn't have fear, reverence, and awe before God. When it came to the Jewish mindset, the temple was holy ground. Now, we know that God doesn't live in a building, right? You don't have to go to the temple. It doesn't exist. You can go to the temple wall. People do it every day and pray at the wall. Okay, the temple wall is still there. The rest of it is not there. So you can't go to the temple. So God doesn't live in a temple. He lives right here with us in the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to Jewish mindset, this temple was God's presence. And guess what? They're just kind of just la, 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 whatever. They're using the temple as a shortcut, by the way, from one part of the city to the other because they didn't want to go all the way around. That's one thing that was bad. The other thing was they used it as a little money-changing scheme. But look at the difference between that and there's two verses, two scriptures about uh, the temple. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 7, this is right after King Solomon dedicated the temple. Okay? King Solomon's temple was destroyed later on. They rebuilt it. But this was the glorious temple. This was, wow. This was, they were so amazed at this. But look at what, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So what was going on in the temple? The glory of the Lord. This was so powerful. Guess what? The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord filled it. When was the last time that we went to church when the glory of the Lord is so strong you can't even go in the sanctuary? Guess what? For 20 years, for over 20 years, that in my life, that's never happened. I was able to go into church every time. There's been times where I've experienced the glory of the Lord. Trust me. But there's also times where I go, eh. My question, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask myself, I'm going to pretend by myself, is it God's fault or is it my fault that the glory of the Lord isn't more prominent? Because in those days, the priests couldn't even go in there. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they what? They knelt. Everybody say knelt. They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped. And they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Now some of us, we couldn't kneel on the ground with our face to the ground. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to get back up. You know, this is morning I was walking pork chop and long story short, this older lady falls and can't get up. She was, had a dog and the dog was pulling towards pork chop and I had to help her up. I mean, so my, my point is, is that some people have a hard time because of their knee and whatever. The point isn't get your face to the ground physically. It, it could be that, but it's bigger than that. 
kneeling to the ground with your face to the ground, it's symbolic of humbling yourself before God. God, I'm lowering myself physically. For some of us, we can't do it. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to bow my head because you're so much bigger than me. See, that's what you do in God's presence. You bow with your face to the ground. You worship. You give thanks to God. You humble yourselves. You make less about you, and you make a big deal, and you make, you make more of God than we have been. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Isaiah has a, uh, a vision of God in the temple. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. Why were, these, why were they covering their face? God's holy. God's holy. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy is a word for separate. He's way separate. He, here we are. Here's God. He's holy. He's not just one of us. He's holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. So once you think about those two instances about the temple, glory that the priests couldn't even go into the temple. They were going to the temple going, it's like, you know, if you're, like a window or a door being so clean that you walk into the glass. Oh, that's never happened to me. Okay. We have a dog, so there's always nose marks on the thing. So, but I mean, you may, uh, in my life, I may have gone like this into a sliding glass door and went, bing, right? but they, they, is like that. They're like, I can't even go in there. And then there's smoke. There's, there's, there's the thresholds are shaking. People like, like angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then look at Jesus day. Do you think anything was shaking there? Do you think there was smoke? Maybe from the burnt offerings, maybe. but they were turning it into something that was not meant to be. See, what did they have that, Jesus, that, the, that the people of Jesus' day didn't have? They had fear, reverence, and awe before God. They had it, but the Israelites during Jesus' day, the very ones that were worshiping him just a day before this, they didn't have it. It was all show. It was show. So could it be possible that we lose fear, reverence, and awe before God? And can we make God a means to our own end? If you would just bless me, Lord, versus, Lord, we're here for you. I humble myself. See, Mark 11, verse 16, we read it earlier. It says, Jesus stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. Now, I've talked with people about this verse over the years, and they say, no yard sells the church. We've had yard sales here. It's a lot of work, okay? We've, used, we've done yard sales uh, for a fundraiser for different reasons. Um, some people use this as a reason not to have offerings in the church. You've got to have context in everything, okay? You know, 
there's nothing that says that you don't do tithing and don't do offerings. The whole Bible's full of it, New Testament and Old Testament, okay? And this is not talking about no yard sales. Why is that? Because what Jesus' point here is not marketplace. The point is, is that they turned the, the, the temple that was supposed to be a house of prayer, house of prayer, but they turned it into a den of thieves. So look at the difference here. That's Jesus' problem. Because people in the Jewish mindset, they did, that's how they did worship. We don't sacrifice animals. Jesus changed that. But you'd have to get an animal. You'd have to slice it down the middle. You could walk right down the middle of blood. And for that year, you, the blood, the, the sin is covered over. But they weren't even talking about that. They were just kind of, they were using it lackadaisically, like, la, 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 whatever. This is just God's house. This is just God's temple. See, no thought of the glory of God, no awe before the majesty of God, and no fear of the holiness of God. I mean, look at Isaiah 6.5. This is right after he, he has that vision. Look at what he cries out. Woe is me. Isaiah's having a rough day. Woe is me. I am ruined. You go to church and you're ruined. I want to say it this way because I, I ask God, because I've read this many times and I say, God, in a, in a very biblical good way, I want you to ruin my life. Another way of saying it for me is, Lord, interrupt my life. I want you to come into my life, interrupt what I think is important, and I want to do what, God, what you're asking me to do. If I'm, if I'm going the wrong direction, God, Ruined my life. Because he's ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have actually seen the king, the Lord Almighty. He goes, I'm not holy. He's holy. I'm unclean. He's clean. He's good. I'm not. When was the last time that we had that in our lives? He's undone. He's ruined. Ezra chapter 10 verse 1 is another example. Because I'm only reading these because I want you to I want you to look at the difference between Jesus day and early on in the temple. Okay? There is a difference. Ezra 10 verse 1 says, "While Ezra prayed, house of prayer, right? While Ezra prayed, he made his confession, weeping and lying face down to the ground, like Isaiah said, in front of the temple of God, a very large crowd of people from Israel, men, women, and children, gathered and wept bitterly with them. Men, women, children, everyone. Nobody gets a free pass. Nobody's good enough. I'm not that bad. Because I can get like that. I can compare myself to someone that I go, well, I don't, I don't talk like that. But I ignore the stuff that's going on in my mind. Right? We do that. So look at the difference between the two generations of people. There is fear, reverence, and awe before God. Another thing that they were missing that these people had was confession and sorrow over sin. Now, isn't it good? I give you good news. Jesus took care of sin. 
he comes before you, he died on the cross, and he goes, let me take that sin. And some of us are like, no, I have a little bag full of sin, that's it. No, he's like, and he puts it next to the cross because he took care of it. That's wonderful news. But oftentimes, because you're human, I'm assuming, right? Any, any humans here? You're going to sin. You're going to sin. I'm sorry. Like, I hate to break the, like, I've never sinned since I was a little girl, a little boy. No, you sin. And usually, nine times out of ten, it's all up here, right here. It starts right here. Bad attitude, you know. Oh, if, if I could get my hands on that individual. If I could, if I wasn't a Christian right now, if I wasn't a pastor right now, I'd give them a piece of my mind and I'd give them my fist right here. Right? There's no confession. There's no sorrow over sin. Revival, and I say this every time I talk about revival, if you look at, if you study the history of revival around the world, it always started with this idea, confession and sorrow over sin. It always did. That was the first time, that's the first thing that a church does or a nation does if there's revival. There is a widespread awareness. They're aware that they need to confess their sin, and they need to be sorrowful over sin. Why? Sorrow is going to lead you to God. God, forgive me. Forgive me. Take this coal from my lips, Isaiah would say. Mark eleven seventeen. You've turned it into a den of thieves. They, there was no there was no confessing sin. There was no, there was no sorrow over their sin. They just kind of went, here, oh, you need a, you need a dove? Here you go. That's going to cost you some money. That's going to cost you bank. You want to get close to God, don't you? So Jesus goes, you've turned it into a den of thieves. And then, Jeremiah 7, 11, he's quoting scripture. The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. I'm not going to read Jeremiah 7, 11, but I will read Jeremiah 7, 24, right after the, close to this one. Because look at their, look at the people of Jeremiah's heart, very similar to Jesus' day. But the way that Jeremiah says it, I go, maybe the church in the United States is like what Jeremiah is talking about. But my people would not listen to me. God's talking. My people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted. They kept following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went, what, backward instead of forward. When was the last time that you felt that God said, you know what, I want you to go backwards in your, in your faith. You're, you're, you have too much faith. Just take a step. Whoa, whoa, slow down. Take a step back. God never says that. He goes, you can, here, keep going. Keep going. Step. It's only a small, you're like baby steps here. Or you're like falling over. Like It's like being hurt and you're learning how to walk again. It's like, this is like a victory for a lot of people. The little baby step is, is a victory. That lady that fell, I mean, we picked her. There was, a, I just, there was another gal that helped her up, and we helped her up. And this is all at 7 o'clock in the morning. Like, this is fun. And she couldn't hardly walk. She had to get her walker, so her husband had to come. But anyway, but before he got there, you know, she's stumbling. She's fine. Nothing broke, nothing. She was fine when she got her walker. But um, this is a victory for some people. It really is. So when these people, they wouldn't listen to God. 
They did whatever they wanted. They followed their desires. They went backwards instead of forward. That is why they, Jeremiah had a very horrible message to tell them. And nobody wanted to listen. That's why he's known as the weeping prophet. He's the preacher that no one would listen to. Zero congregation. See, we must not forget fear, awe, and reverence towards God. We must not forget confession and sorrow over sin. And third, last, we shouldn't forget, because this is what they're missing, faith-filled and forgiving prayer. Faith-filled and forgiving prayer. Jesus said this place should be called a house of what? Prayer. And then right after that, when the next day, they look at the fig tree, and what does Jesus talk about? Prayer. So this is not accidental. Jesus is very wise. And then Mark, being very filled with the Holy Spirit, because all scriptures God breathed, there was a very big reason for this. Mark eleven twenty two. Let's read it one more time. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you the truth, you can pray for anything and you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. I, at some point, will we'll go into, we, can, we need to go to all scripts, you need to go to the book of James and talk about the reason why we don't have answers to our prayer. There's a million different reasons why. We won't get into that. But the point is, faith-filled prayer. And then, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So forgiving prayer. This, this, there's an importance of trust and belief in God when you're praying. And forgiving prayer. Forgive everyone, anyone. Them? Yep. Them? No way, not them. No way. God, get out of my face, God, because I don't want to forgive that individual. We, we would never say that, would we? Listen, talking from someone that was bitter for a while, you can't worship God and be bitter. You can't. Thank you for that, Amen. Because it's not easy to say. You can't be bitter and worship God. Why? Because Jesus is all, apparently he's all about the heart and not your outward. You could, you know, doing this is cheap. Like when I go to church and I lift up my hands, part of the reason why is because I, I, it's fun to me. I love worship. I do. It fills me up. So I never not look forward to it. We've had some people, they show up, we don't really, we're not into music. Can we just get to the sermon? Like, I love it. But it's so, it's, it's easy to do that. I just, honey, would you just start singing a worship song and she'll just sing it and we have a worship service. Boom, done. That, that doesn't happen usually. We, but that would be awesome. But see, it's not about the motions. It's about the heart. There is no room for bitterness and unforgiveness in true worship, according to Jesus. Not according to me, according to Jesus. So as we close this, we must not forget fear, awe, and reverence towards God. 
We must not forget confession and sorrow over sin because he will forgive you. If you confess with your mouth your sin, he will forgive you, period. And faith-filled and forgiving prayer. Let's pray. Speak into prayer. Holy Spirit, help us. Help our, maybe there's some of our, in our lives, there's just this little bit of faith, but then there's a lot of it that's doubt. Help our doubt, Lord God. Help get rid of that. Help our faith grow. Help us to go forward with you. Help us to take a step forward today. Help us to not look at the story and go, oh, I'm just yuck. I feel so nasty right now. God, that is not the point. The point is to run to you, God. To run to you right now and to say, Lord, I need you because we can't do what you're asking us to do without you. We can't accomplish what you're asking here without you. Your Holy Spirit needs to fill us up to overflowing and help us to be filled with faith. Help us to forgive. God, if there's any bitterness in this room, just melt it away, Lord God. I know it's hard for humanly possible. It's not possible, but with God, all things are possible. Melt away the bitterness. Melt away the the hard feelings. Melt away all those things and soften our hearts and give us a brand new heart so that we can pray with a pure heart, Lord God. We can pray your will, your will be done. God, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for doing what you did, especially in light of what is to take place in the coming weeks in the story. I pray that you'd bless each one here and you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll be here on Wednesday night. We skipped it last Wednesday night. So we'll be here for a small group.